School might be out for the summer, but let's study up on what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our series, Christianity 101, from the book of 1 John. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 3? We're going to pick up this morning in our series of messages that um, we've been looking at entitled Christianity 101. Christianity 101. And I've mentioned each week that John is taking us, the Apostle John is taking us back to the basics of the faith and the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, in his day, he was already, he was an old man. He was dealing with second and third generation Christians, and there was a, there was a danger and a tendency for them to begin to wander in different areas of the faith, the doctrine, and their way of life. But John, it's like he's teaching a foundational course. This is what it means. This is, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so this morning, we're picking up where we left off last week in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, um, beginning at verse number 10. And please allow me to read for us um, down to verse 24. And John writes this. This is how we know who the children of God are. We spoke about being children of God last week. We sang about it again this morning. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And this morning, our message is entitled The Tale of Two Lives. The Tale of Two Lives. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning and pray that you would use it to speak to our hearts. God, to to convict us where we need to be convicted, to teach us what we need to learn, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged today. So I pray the blessing of your word to your people this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And, and so John, he's, he's, he's asking basically and answering the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be 
a follower of Jesus? Is it is it about a declaration of faith or a prayer, you know, praying the prayer, as we call it, or being baptized? Or is it about a lifestyle of being kind to one's neighbor, seeking social justice, taking care of the poor, demonstrating love? Is it either or or is it both and? And I'm afraid that so many Christians and so many churches and Christian circles have made it in either or proposition. For some would say that being a Christian, a follower of Jesus is strictly a matter of faith. What one believes, declaring faith in Jesus, praying the prayer or being baptized. And I've heard people say, oh, I got my friend. I got my brother to pray the prayer. And so now they're a Christian. Well, that may be so. But others would say, well, is it about what one does doing good works, um, you know, showing love and, and get all of those things. But John would say to us this morning, it's not either or, but it's both and it's both. And you see, first, John 323, if we could bring that up on the screen here for us this morning, notice John's words to us here. He says, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Notice this is his command, one command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. You see, John understood that the two, faith and love, cannot be separated. He understood that the two are intrinsically tied together. That it matters what one believes, and it matters how one lives. That being a Christian means living according to both. Again, notice the scripture. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. You see, again, John has been distinguishing throughout his, his epistle between true followers of Jesus Christ and those who are, maybe we might say, just going along for the ride, those who are Christians in name alone. He's been making a clear distinction between true followers of Jesus and those who are not. And so far we've seen through his epistle, through his letter to the church, that followers of Jesus, they back up their claims by the way in which they live. That followers of Jesus don't allow this world to capture their hearts. That followers of Jesus, they hold on to, they persevere in the truth of the gospel message, and they live under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That followers of Jesus, they live as children of God, according to their new identity given to them by God, living according to God's standards of right and wrong, and in a way that always honors their heavenly Father. And now we might say John comes to the ultimate test. He comes to the ultimate test. And as he does, we find that he contrasts two very different men, two very different ways of living. And in doing so, he's putting forth a very basic test by which we are to judge ourselves to see whether or not we are true followers of Jesus or we are just among those who maybe prayed a prayer, we got baptized, we did something good, and we're just kind of going along for the ride. Again, we might say it's the ultimate test. As he brings to us the tale of two lives, it's a contrast of two different ways of life. The first comes in verse number 12, where he highlights for us Cain, the life of Cain. Now, the story of Cain, if you don't, if you don't know, is found in Genesis chapter 4. And, and, and 
uh, Cain is only referred to a few times in Scripture, and yet what we know about his life is very revealing. See, Cain and his brother Abel were two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain being the elder son. And God one day called them to come before him in worship to bring to him a sacrifice. And, and the Bible tells us that whereas Abel brought the best of what he had, Cain, we're told, brought only some of what he had. The implication is that Cain brought to God that which was kind of left over. His act of worship was an afterthought. It didn't come from, from a heart of worship and faith, but out of obligation. We might even say today, out of a heart of religiosity. Well, God told me to do it, so I got to bring him something. You know what I mean? I mean, how many times do we do that? Well, God said, this is what I got to do. So, okay, I just got to do it. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And note, ultimately, what they did and didn't do had to do with their faith in God, faith being revealed in how it was they came to worship. And so we read in Genesis 4 that God accepted Abel's offering, an offering of true faith and worship, but rejected Cain's. And Cain became bitterly jealous of his brother. Can you imagine that? He became bitterly jealous, which, which of course revealed what was already in his heart. And then he became not only jealous and bitter, but filled with hatred to the point that he eventually killed his brother Abel. The end result was that Cain was cast out of God's presence. We, we sang this morning about being in the presence of God. What a sweet place to be. Amen, church? What a wonderful place to be, to live in the presence of God. But Cain, we're told, was cast out of the presence of God. What a terrible place to be. You see, for John, Cain's life is a picture of that person who lives their life lacking true faith, jealous of others, self-centered, filled with bitterness and even hatred. And that hatred, if left to itself, ends up in murder. Cain's way of life revealed that even though he appeared religious, he came with an offering. He showed up in church, we might say. He was not a child of God. But instead, that he belonged to the evil one. He was a son of the devil, Tom would say. Cain's story is one that makes it clear, makes it clear what a life of self-centeredness, jealousy, bitterness, and hatred looked like. And notice John's words in verse 15, that anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And those words come right from Jesus' teaching on this, in the Sermon on the Mount, do they not? Where Jesus says that, listen, hatred is equivalent to murder in God's eyes because hatred is the root of murder. And in the end, Cain becomes an example of what it means to live one's life lacking true faith, thus lacking love, focused on self, again, filled with bitterness, jealousy, hatred, all the things that come from a person who's so self-focused, even in their relationship with God. But the contrast is found in second man in verse 16. For John brings to mind the story of another man, a very different kind of man, a man whose life story was just the opposite of that of Cain. It's the story of Jesus. And, and right, you know that we read of Jesus' life and his way of life throughout the Gospels. If you're not familiar with, with Jesus, maybe you're online this morning, you say, well, how did Jesus live? What was his life like? What were his teachings? Go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
But there we have the story of a man, the man Jesus, who is filled with faith to the point that he was completely obedient to God. How many of us know it takes faith to obey God? Right? We trust him with our lives. He was so filled with faith, he was completely obedient and thus completely selfless and filled with love for others. In Jesus, we find a man who is so consumed with love, love for those that no one else would love, love for people who had turned their backs on God, love for people lost in their sin, even love for people who rejected him. In Jesus, we find a man who is so selfless and so filled with love that he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of others, allowing himself to take on the servant's towel to eventually be beaten and mocked and crucified that others might know the love and the salvation of God. In Jesus, we find the man who lived a life that was the epitome of love. No jealousy, no bitterness, no anger, no hatred, only love. And as I was considering John's words here in 1 John, my mind went over to John chapter 13, if you want to look there for a moment, where we read about the washing of the disciples' feet. For remember that John is recording, in fact, John is the only apostle to re record the washing of the disciples' feet. But you see, John was there. And that event in Jesus' words that night must have made an indelible mark on him. Look, John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, that's John writing. Those are John's words. He loved them to the end. How did he know? Because as he writes, the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And I want you to notice something here. Jesus went around washing each one of his disciples' feet, including Judas, the one who was about to betray him. I mean, tell me that's not love. And then John goes on in verse 12 to write this. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash each other's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly, I tell you, no, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And that night, as Jesus continues to converse with them, he goes on to say, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, a new command. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, up until the crucifixion and resurrection, the washing of the disciples' feet was the ultimate sign of Jesus' love for them, humbling himself to the point of serving them as a servant. And it was, and it still is, is it not, a perfect and practical example of what it means to be a person of love. 
I mean, to get down and to wash someone's feet, to take care of their needs, even those who you know are going to betray you? Jesus' life is a story. It's a love story. His life is the ultimate definition of love. So John writes in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Oh, do we hear that, church? This is how we know what love is. The Apostle Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, he didn't take for himself, he gave himself that we might have. And Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not e consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself be by becoming what? Obedient. Obedient to death, even death on the cross. No wonder John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so John has brought to our minds two contrasting pictures, two contrasting lives. Cain's life. It's a picture of a person whose life is, is, is consumed with self and, and thus bitterness, jealousy, hatred. They might be religious, but they don't really have faith. Jesus' life is a picture whose life is consumed with what's always best for others, doing what is best for others, thus a life that's filled with love. Two very different ways of life that John is putting out before us. And so we have two options. We have two options. One, option number one, is to live our lives centered on oneself. And how many of us know that's our natural way, Right? We just naturally want to do what's best for ourselves, protect ourselves, get for ourselves, hold on to things for ourselves, right? Kind of boost ourselves up, make ourselves look good in the eyes of other people. Watch out for our own well-being. And if anyone steps on our territory, if anybody seems to, seems to come against us in any way, right? If anyone, well, anyone gets a little bit higher on the ladder, we become jealous, bitter, even, even full of hatred. Even our good deeds can become saturated with self, that we do good stuff. Why? Not, not because we love, but because we want to make ourselves look good and we want people to applaud us and say, oh, what a great guy you are. See, John's point is this. You cannot claim to have faith in Jesus and live that way, live a life that's focused on self. But option number two is this, a life that's centered on others. And this is the way of life for those who've given themselves to following Jesus and who've thus had their hearts and lives changed by the Spirit of God. As you read through John's epistle, notice how he just continually weaves in the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. Why? Because, because we can't do this on our own church. We can't like, talk ourselves into being like loving people. We need the Holy Spirit to come and change our hearts. Amen? It's a lifestyle that is, first of all, concerned with, with what's good for those around us. It's a life that's built around meeting the needs of others, a life of self-sacrifice. It's a lifestyle that's marked by a willingness to lay down one's life for others. 
It will mean a life in which we're willing to give of our possessions, of our time, of our resources to meet someone else's need. It's about giving rather than receiving. Jesus said, he said, freely you've received, freely you are to give. It's a life that's lived to promote the good of others, a life of love. It's a, it's a life of sacrifice, sacrificing ourselves to do what's best for our spouse, for our kids, for our grandkids, sacrificing for the sake of our fellow believers. And how many times in churches today people get up and say, well, I don't want this or I don't like that. But listen, it's not about I, I, I. Sacrificing for the sake of those who are without Christ. You heard it this morning from our missionaries. So many people without Christ living in these zero zones, right? We say, oh, that's not right. That's not right. Sacrificing for the sake of those who are poor and who are suffering. John would say to us, there's only two types of lifestyles. We either live like Cain or we live like Jesus. We live our lives filled with self-centeredness or lives that are filled with love. And he would say that how we live our lives is a sign of what's in our hearts and whether or not we are true followers of Jesus. But you see, when, you, when a person truly gives their life to following Jesus, when they put their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to change us from the inside out. Notice what he says in verse 24. I just love the way he puts it. That the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives, change us. And we kind of like look at ourselves and say, man, that's not the way I used to live. That's not the way I used to think. But it becomes evident to us that the Holy Spirit's at work in us and is changing us. And so the ultimate test, you see, the ultimate test for John is love. By looking at our lives and how it is we live, whether we're living selfishly or selflessly, filled with anger and hatred or filled with love, we'll discover whether or not we are truly in the faith, whether or not we are children of God. For he writes this in 1 John 3.10 again. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. First John 3, 14, he says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And first John 3, 19 and 20, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Listen, church, it's important to have faith. It's important to know and to hold on to the truth. And we've seen that in John's epistle. He's going to continue to bring that home. But, but John would say to us, but faith and truth without love is meaningless. The apostle James says, faith without works is dead. And I'm afraid that this is where too often the church has failed. That we just make it about a prayer, signing a card, getting into a baptismal tank or however the church does it. And we fail to teach that being a true disciple of Jesus means taking that faith. And as we we live and as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, our lifestyle begins to change. We begin to live in a new way. That's why John writes in first John three seventeen. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And in first John four, he goes on to say, 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In other words, in other words, church, John would say to us, how can you say that you're a follower of Jesus and that you know God, that you've been born again, that you're saved by his love, grace, and mercy, and still not show love? How can you say that you're a follower of Jesus and still be selfish and self-centered, jealous and bitter, when you still live your life so self-focused? It's impossible. Followers of Jesus just do not live that way. You see, it's all very basic. Christianity 101. We're either filled with spiritual life or we're still living in spiritual death. And the telltale sign will be whether or not we're living a life of love. That is not to say that people who do not know Jesus don't know how to love. It's not to say that if someone doesn't know Jesus, they're 100% selfish and never do anything good. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. But what it does say is that those who become followers of Jesus are going to be those whose faith in Jesus is demonstrated by means of the way they live. They will live like Jesus lived. Listen, in the natural, we're all a lot more like Cain than we like to admit. But when we put our faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and we are born again, we begin moving from Cain to Jesus. Amen? We become a lot less like Cain and a lot more like Jesus. And it ought to scare us this morning a little bit if we look at our lives and we say, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we look at our lives and we find ourselves to be a lot more like Cain. Oh, that ought to scare us. I don't even, just scare us a lot. I'm going to be careful the words I use here. Why? Because those who become true followers of Jesus, they've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. They've experienced a transforming power of God at work in their hearts, minds, spirits, lives. They've come to know the incredible mercy and grace of God. And thus, it's just natural that all of that would spill out of their lives. Again, John wrote 1 John 3.23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of, of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. One command, believe in Jesus and love. And so I wonder this morning when God looks at our lives, what does he see? I wonder whether or not we pass the ultimate test. Are we living our lives more like Cain or more like Jesus? Will you bow your heads with me? online, wherever you are, here in the sanctuary. We just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, your mind, your spirit. Maybe there's some things you need to confess this morning, some things you need to get right with God. You need to say, God, would you forgive me? I call myself a person of faith, a follower of Jesus, but I know there's, there's just been, well, there's been a lot of selfishness in my life holding on to things for myself. I have refused, failed to pick up the servant's towel. Maybe you're out there this morning and today's the day that God's calling you to first take a step of faith. Put your faith in Jesus, God's son, the one who willingly laid down his life for you. The one who's still willing to pour out grace and mercy into your life. 
And as you put your faith in him, allow his Holy Spirit to come in, begin to change you and transform you, to forgive you of sin, to give you new life and hope of eternity. And the Holy Spirit, if, if, you're, if you're really earnest about that, the Holy Spirit will come. He'll begin to change you and you will, you will step by step become a lot less like Cain, a lot more like Jesus as you pursue him. So, Father, right now, right now, I just pray for your people here in this place and those who are watching online. God, that by your spirit, you would apply your word to our lives. Lord, we don't want to be people who just mouth words of, 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 of religiosity and faith and just go through routine and ritual. But God, we want to be people truly born of your spirit. Hearts and minds transformed that we would begin to live like our, our Savior lived, filled with mercy and grace and compassion and love. You would help us, oh God, as your people, as a church. And Lord, I pray for maybe someone today who's, who's taking a step of faith for the very first time, that you would bless them, that you'd minister to them, that the, the ministry of your Holy Spirit would be very real in their life today, that the Word of God would come alive and that they would be totally changed, transformed this morning. They would know your incredible grace, love, and mercy being activated in their life today. So we thank you. We bless you this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. For those of you who are online, there's a, a text number that's coming up. I don't know if it's coming up here behind me as well. Um, I don't know if that happens here or, or not. But if you have a prayer request you would like us to pray for this week, please send in your prayer request that that number will be open for about 10 minutes after the service. Those of you who are here in the sanctuary can also use that number to send in your prayer requests. But aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? His incredible love for us. Would you stand?